Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Okay, so I said in the first service, today is Father's Day, but it's also the 21st of June, and we all know what the 21st of June is, don't we? The longest day. So I said in honour of that, I'm going to give the longest sermon of the year (laughs) as well. Um, All right, so yeah, Father's Day. There are certain things that dads like to say to their kids. Um, I'm sure you all know them. Um, We're going to just run through a few of them uh, that you may have heard before from your own father. I certainly say some of these. Um, the first one is, uh, go ask your mother. So yeah, the reason the men say that is because we don't want to get the answer wrong. Okay, their kids ask something and we think, oh, if I say that, then I'm going to get in trouble. So go ask your mother. Um, something else my dad used to say to me, I used to walk 10 miles to school every day in the snow, in shorts, uphill, both ways. Uh, that works. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Great, great, you're getting the hang of this. If you break your leg, don't come running to me. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I wasn't asleep. I was resting my eyes. We use that one Sunday afternoon. Yes, wasn't asleep. I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am. I'm not made of money. money. Yeah, I'm not made of money. Um, don't make me pull this car over <laughs> many times. Yeah. And the final one, the one that trumps everything else as a dad uh, that you say when, they, when you tell your kids to do something and they ask you why, uh, the greatest answer is because I said so. Because I said so. That should be enough. Anyway, we're in our series today, uh, Strength and Courage. Looking at, um, we've been looking at um, having strength and courage in various circumstances and situations. Uh, and today, because it's Father's Day, I thought we would look at strength and courage in families. Okay, we're going to base it around uh, families, uh, building strong families and building strength and courage in one another. Now, I want to start off by talking about uh, kind of on a local level, on kind of the small family unit, parents, mums and dads and, and sons and daughters and kids and maybe even grandparents, the people who live in your house with you. And then I want to expand it out to talk about the wider family, the family of, the family of God, us, the church. Um, and maybe um, you, like me, uh, are thinking to yourself, yeah, 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 I'd like a stronger family. I'd like, I always want to have a stronger family, a better, a better family life. Uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, my family is just awesome. You know, I really don't need to hear this. I have the best family in the world. I have no trouble with any of my, my family units. I don't think I'm seeing any nodding there. That's, <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, maybe you're wishing that you've got children here right now listening to this or, or your husband or your wife or your parents. Um, and so why am I giving this talk? Is it because I've got all the answers? No, it's not. No, I haven't. Um, I often hold my head in my hands and cry out, God, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do in this situation. You know, the kids are up to something or there's something going on at home. And I'm like, I just don't have the answer. Um, And invariably, we have to take it to God in those moments. Um, And 
There are people in this room who I know are fantastic parents, absolutely brilliant parents. And, and I look at you and I, and I look at people and I think, gosh, I would love to have some of the skills that they've got. And I wish I could be more like, more like them. But today is Father's Day. So um, if I give you advice, if I give you kind of words of wisdom, if I tell you uh, to do something, then, uh, and you want to know what the reason why is, it's because I said so. <laughs> All right? And that should be enough. So we're going to go to the Bible. And um, the passage we're going to look at today is quite a simple passage. It's a short passage, and it's, take, it's taken from uh, one of the books in Psalms. Um, it's one of the chapters in Psalms, Psalm 127. And so let's just look at this together. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So essentially what I want to do today is uh, what I'm calling home improvements. Okay? If you've done any home improvements, if you've done any building work or extension work or rebuilt something in your home, you're probably aware that there are in your house there are two types of walls. There are what's called partition walls. Okay, these are walls that you can take a hammer to and you can knock down and you can move. They don't affect anything else uh, around them um, and you can just change the position of these walls because they're not holding anything up. And then there's another type of wall called a load-bearing wall. And this is the wall that's kind of integral to the structure of the house. Okay, you don't want to take a hammer to a load-bearing wall because if you do, your house is going to fall down. Um, I haven't had experience of that, thank goodness, yet. Um, it's kind of something that I would do. Um, anyway, in our family life, there are some principles and structures and values that we have in our family that are like partition walls that you know change. And as our family develops, as it grows, as it gets older, some of the values do move around and some of those walls are repositioned and, and we say, yeah, this is not relevant anymore to our stage in life, but now this needs to be. And there are other principles that are load-bearing. Okay, and we're going to look at some load-bearing truths today. Three truths I want to pull out from this passage that actually, if you remove these from the family, then everything you do will actually, as it says, be in vain. It uses that word three times, in vain. It will have no success. There'll be no reward. You won't achieve what you're trying to achieve without these things in place. So, the first scripture, um, first uh, uh, sentence we want to look at is uh, those first two lines, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. And obviously I'm going to give you examples from my own family. In our family, um, I like to think that God is the builder of our family. It's not an abdication of my responsibility as a parent, um, but as parents, Fru and I, we, we submit to God's authority in all areas, to, particularly to do with our family. Um, and I know, and I've realised, and I've come to the conclusion through experiences both good and bad that the best thing I can do as a father is bring kind of these matters before God bring them to Jesus and uh, and get wisdom and 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 submit to his authority Uh, in the gospel of Mark in chapter 5 Mark talks about a um, an account of somebody coming to Jesus bringing an issue to Jesus now this man a guy called Jairus he, the, the scriptures tell us that he's the leader of the synagogue in, in Capernaum. So he's kind of quite an um, influential guy. 
He's got power. He's got responsibility. He's the keeper of the books of the synagogue. He decides on the order of service in the synagogue. He decides who's going to pray, who's going to read the scriptures. Um, so he's, he's got quite a lot of influence in the city. Um, but a situation has arisen in his family and his credentials and his influence mean absolutely zero in this moment. And so what does he do? Well, he, he puts his pride aside and he comes, comes to Jesus. He needs a miracle. He needs answers. And the power that he's got is not going to help him. And the, the issue he's got is that his, his daughter um, is ill and it says that she's close to death. So Jairus, he goes and he, he tells us that he falls at Jesus' feet. He just humbles himself before Jesus and he pleads with him. Um, and he, sa- he says these words, My little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her and she will be healed and live. My little girl's dying. See, Jairus, he knows his limitations. As a father, he knows he can't solve everything. And just like we need to know as parents as well, we need to know that we have limitations. Our children don't need to uh, think of us as a father or a mother with all the answers. They don't need to see that. They just need to see someone who is prepared to get on their knees and invite Jesus into the situation. So Jesus, he agrees and he starts on his way towards Jairus' house with Jairus. But on the way, there's little bits of distraction comes up. There's um, a lady who's bleeding, who Jesus heals, and there's there's lots of crowds pressing in. And before they make it to Jairus' house, somebody comes from the house and says to to Jairus, look, Jairus, it's, it's too late, mate. Don't bother Jesus anymore with this. Your little girl has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl has died. And we don't know what Jairus' response is. We can imagine. If you're a parent, you can imagine getting that kind of news. Oh, how awful that would be. But we don't hear, we don't read about what Jairus uh, does or says. But we do read what Jesus' response is. Jesus, he goes up to Jairus. He hears what they said and he, he says to Jairus, don't worry about what they've told you. He says, don't fear. Just believe. Don't fear. Just believe. And maybe you have found yourself in a, in a situation where the outcome is looking ominous, where it seems terrible, where it looks like actually the outcome is a sure thing. This is going to happen. It's terrible. There's no way out of this. There's no way I'm going to get through this. I've said this before. Um, I've spoken about our second child, JJ, who was born with half a heart, he has congenital heart um, uh, defect, he's got half a heart, and he spent the first uh, three years of his life in and out of hospital having various lots of open heart surgery, and we lived for quite a lot of the time in Guy's Hospital. Um, and there were times when we just had no idea what the outcome was going to be. He was in surgery and he was there for five, six hours, and, we, and we're just helpless. And the outcome looking ominous. We, we know it's taking longer than they said it was going to take and we think, oh grief, what's happening in there? And that little voice inside your head saying, it's too late. You know, don't bother Jesus anymore, it's too late. It's too late. But we really felt, and this was a great period for us, um, it really showed us what our faith was made of and what our, uh, and what our faith is worth. Um, because even in those times we had peace. 
we were able to not fear, uh, but believe. And maybe you're facing stuff right now, and the outcome, it just looks like, the outcome on the horizon that you've got your eyes on, it just looks ominous. And I'll say, maybe Jesus is just whispering in your ear right now. He's sitting next to you saying, don't fear, just believe. The outcome isn't a done deal. It's not a done deal. Don't fear, just believe. Now Jairus, he was the, he was the head of his home. He was quite an important man. And um, he would have had family, he would have had lots of servants, I'm sure. Um, however, once he arrived at his home, it was Jesus who had the authority in his home, who gave the commands. He commanded Jairus, first of all, he said, you know, don't fear, uh, but believe. He commanded his disciples to stay where they were, and he just took Pete, James, Peter and John with him. He commanded the crowds in the house, he tells them to get out. He said, you, you leave, you're not going to be in here. And then he commands the miracle, he commands the, the little girl to rise up off the bed. And when she does, he commands Jairus, and he commands Jairus' wife to get her some food, get her some food, feed her, and then he commands them not to tell anyone about it. Jesus is the one who has authority. Jairus was the head of the home, but he submitted the authority to Jesus. And, you know, knowing uh, what that conversation he'd already had with somebody who told him it was too late, now seeing his daughter alive, can we imagine that he must be feeling glad that he'd submitted his authority to Jesus? having their daughter back. And I explained in the first service a similar situation that Fru and I had when, um, it's to do with JJ, he was in hospital. It was after his last surgery, his, his third lot of open heart surgery. It was his last one. I think he was about three years old. And he'd lived his life really restricted by his condition, not having energy, not having the ability to move quickly, just fairly static child. And it was a, a two or three weeks after his operation, we were in the hospital, and JJ was walking towards us in a corridor, and he was pushing this pushchair, kids' pushchair. And in the pushchair was all the things that he was connected to, his heart monitor, his blood saturation monitor, there's various drips and things going into him, and he was pushing it down the corridor. And he starts to run, and he runs towards us. And Fru and I are watching JJ running towards us, and then he turns around and he starts running again in the other direction. And then he turns around and he runs back. And he, I don't know if he knows why he's running. He's just running. And Fru and I are getting ulterior. He's running. And it just, it was the most amazing experience. And those of you who know JJ know that he hasn't stopped moving ever since. Um, I sometimes wish he would sit still, but he doesn't. But at the same time, we're so grateful for for what he's like now. And so Jairus, he would have been so glad that he submitted authority to, uh, to Jesus. And so the question I want to ask is, have you given Jesus authority in your home? Have you given him the authority? Have you given him the authority? Do you prayerfully seek him for the answers that you need? And do you let your kids see that you do that? That's really vital. Okay, so the first thing then is, unless the Lord builds the house. Unless he has authority, we build in vain. The second thing is the next couple of lines. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In order to have a strong family, we need to acknowledge God as the protector of our family. 
Now, as men, as, as, as uh, husbands and fathers, we feel like we have a sense of responsibility in this area. I know I certainly do. I want to be the protector of my family. Um, and, you know, there's a lot out there that can be damaging to our children. I'm sure you see it with this age of advanced technology and information. There's so much out there that's kind of scary as a, as a parent um, when you think about uh, what's in there for your kids. And so you put rules and you put things in place in your home to shield them and protect them. That's the right thing to do. In our own home, we have various rules concerning connected gadgets. So they're not allowed to take them upstairs. So they don't have them in the bedroom. And sometimes that's really annoying for them. Um, but it's a rule that we have. And, you know, if they've got to charge their phones, it's always done in the kitchen. Um, and, you know, we can't protect them 24-7. And so there needs to be other answers. We can't just kind of wrap them up in cotton wool because that's not going to help them in the long run. So what can we do? Well, I guess we constantly ask God for his wisdom. We ask him for his protection. Um, he's the only one who can really protect our family. And there's various, I guess I want to call them bricks, that make up this wall of protection. Um, how can we do the best? You know, What bricks are we building with to make sure that our family is protected? What is our role as parents in bringing up our children to make wise and good decisions for themselves? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he gives a whole list of instructions to, um, to families, and it's about the family unit. And in fact, in my Bible, it says, there's a heading for that, this passage. It says, instructions for Christian households, which is kind of nice and um, simple and obvious. So we're going to look at those instructions for Christian households uh, today in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. And verse, the first verse I want to look at is, uh, the first verse that comes in this section is verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is totally foundational for, for husbands and wives and, and in relationships submitting to one another. That's a starting point. If we get this starting point bedded down, if we get this foundation, then everything else will build on top of that, will be secure and, and solid. But men, we prefer the next verse. Okay, this next verse, verse 22, uh, says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. We like that, right men? No, just me. Uh, <laughs> This is the one we put on the fridge magnet and um, we make sure our wives know this one. We memorise this one. Um, but actually, the truth of the matter is, this isn't written to men, this particular verse. It's quite clear who this verse is written to. It tells us right at the beginning, the first word, wives. Wives. This is a, this is a passage, this is a scripture for wives, not for husbands. It doesn't say, husbands, remind your wives. Okay. <laughs> It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Men, this is not for you. Okay? There is something for you men. There's, there's another passage a little bit later on for you husbands. Let's have a quick look at that one. Husbands, it says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the one that we need to memorise men. That's the one that we need to put into practice. That's the one that we need to um, kind of remember and um, not be throwing the other one in our wives' faces. And I wonder if Paul put these particular instructions in for husbands and wives because maybe these are areas that husbands and wives don't necessarily do well in. Men, do we really demonstrate our love particularly well? I know I don't always. Women, do we really submit in the way that we're supposed to? We know we're supposed to submit to each other, 
but this is specifically to wives, submit to your husbands. Do we, are we really good at that? Maybe you disagree with me, maybe, and that's fine, you can write me a letter. Actually, write Mark a letter. Um, <laughs> if we go forward a few verses, there's another verse that we like as parents. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How many of you parents have reminded your children of that one? Yes, they are good, some nods. Yeah, we like that one. But parents, this verse isn't for you. It's quite clear who this verse is for. It's for the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There is a verse for parents, and that comes just a little bit later. If we just have a look at verse 4. Actually, it's not for parents, it's just for fathers. And so I said in the first service, mothers, you feel free to exasperate your children as much as you want. (laughs) Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So why is it telling fathers not to exasperate your kids? I think it's because we're so good at it. (laughs) It is. Well, I am. In fact, I knew I was going to be talking on this today, and we were having a conversation with my kids last night. I know I use my kids. My kids are brilliant. And in fact, we celebrated... Uh, Father's Day last night because I knew uh, I had to be here early this morning and uh, it wasn't going to work kind of giving gifts so they gave me some gifts last night and I just looked at my family all the cards and gifts they'd given me and I just felt so overwhelmed with blessings and love and you know it's not difficult to see when, when you're looking at your kids and you feel like that to see how God sees us as our father. Anyway anyway we're having a conversation we moved on from this beautiful moment and at that moment I was we were having a bit of a debate, and I said to you, kids, am I exasperating you right now? And both, uh, both the oldest two went, yes, you are, you're exasperating us right now. So I know I'm particularly good at exasperating them. Um, so I have to watch that, and he says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The best way for me to protect my kids is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's to give them godly principles that they can take with them. So what does this actually look like? Well, I've got a few things that I know that uh, Fru and I put in place as parents. Um, First thing is we dedicate our kids to God. We acknowledge that they're a gift from him. And it just reminds us of um, who they are in God's sight. And we're just a steward of what God's given us um, as far as our kids are concerned. The second thing I want to do is to teach them to fear God, to teach them to fear the Lord. And to be transparent, to be the same person I am on a Sunday in the home in the week. So they don't see a different person, not to be a hypocrite. Um, to establish them in this church, to give them all love for the body of Christ. That's so important. If you don't uh, treat church with, with respect, if you don't become involved and become partnered with a group of people in a church, then your children aren't going to see importance of that either. And... It's so crucial for their, for their well-being. Instruct them in the importance of a prayer life and uh, reading God's word and demonstrate this. Let them catch you in your quiet times. Put all this good stuff in them. The Bible tells us in Proverbs uh, 22, I think, it says, uh, instruct a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Instruct a child in the way he should go and when he's old. It doesn't, it doesn't say instruct a child in the way they should go and they'll do it right away. Instruct a child in the way they should go and when they're old, there may be a few years when in the middle when they're actually, it's difficult, but it says when they're old, it'll, it'll all come back. That good stuff will come out. 
That's what we're banking on. We put this good stuff in them. And that's how I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Our kids are brilliant. They're awesome. They're not here right now, are they? No, they're not. Awesome. They have their moments. Yeah, they're not anymore. Okay, the third principle then we get from this passage. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So this is our third load-bearing wall, and this is a great principle. Um, we might work hard at life uh, to be providing for our family, but we need to acknowledge God as our ultimate provider in everything. Why? He says because he loves us. He grants blessings in some translations to those he loves. God is a loving father. And part of the way that he demonstrates that love is providing what we need as a family, providing all the things that we need. Now, uh, showing love, we've already said, maybe doesn't come naturally to, to men and to, to, to fathers. Um, maybe there's a fear that we'll look weak or maybe it's not a manly thing to do. We like to think of ourselves as a protector and as a provider and as the one who does the um, training and the um, discipline. But actually, we need to be showing and demonstrating love much more readily. I'm talking to myself now as much as anybody else. And I'm convinced that kind of most fathers really love their children deeply. But I do think I sometimes forget to show it in the right way. And maybe you do too. We can spend so much energy correcting and rebuking and disciplining and training and trying to develop character that maybe sometimes our kids don't know that they're loved unconditionally. And... And I guess our example maybe shouldn't be the father that we had because our human fathers are imperfect. But we have a heavenly father who gives us a fantastic example of what a father should be like. And um, Jesus tells a story, um, uh, one of the parables that he uses about the prodigal son that talks about a loving father. I know usually when we talk about the, this parable of the prodigal son, we're focusing on the son's journey, the son who asks his father for his inheritance and then goes off and wastes it all and then eventually uh, repents essentially and comes back to his father. But this story is more about this loving father, this character of the father, than it is about what the son does. And that's what I just want to spend a few minutes just talking about. First of all, this father had to go through the pain of his son asking for his inheritance. Essentially what his son was doing, saying that is, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I can't wait till you die. I want it now. How painful would that be for a father? Maybe your children say hurtful things to you. We've had it in our own home. They might say, I hate you, or I wish you weren't my parents, or you know, whatever. And you feel cut to the heart. It's really important that you don't remove yourself emotionally from your kids. We follow God's example in this. There's grace. There's grace. Also, this father went through the pain of not only giving his son the money, watching his son walk away from him. And not just walk away from him, but walk towards disaster. Walk towards certain uh, disaster and and problems and issues. And watching your children do that. So painful for a father, I can imagine. Also, we, we see in this father somebody who is just full of hope, full of love, full of grace. And uh, in, the, in the Bible, it tells us in this passage that while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming towards him. So you've got this image of this father maybe standing on the roof of his home 
looking out across the city into the fields beyond and seeing his son walking back to him. And his son, who has been feeding pigs and has said to himself, oh, what am I doing here? My servants at home have it better than me. I'm going to go back to my father. And he's preparing his speech. And this speech goes something like this. Um, Dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Um, but I'll come and be your servant. And he's, and he's saying it over and over again. I can imagine the son repeating it, trying to get the words right, just like we do when we're planning a conversation that's going to be difficult. Um, but he never has the chance to even open his mouth and say anything because his dad, who sees him a long way off, his dad, he hoists his robe up and tucks it into his belt and he pelts down the stairs and he runs through the, through the house, he runs out the door, he runs through the city and he, into the fields beyond where his son is still walking towards him, still a long way off. And he puts his arm around his son and he hugs him. And the Bible tells us that this father kisses his son. This is a father who has no trouble expressing and demonstrating his love um, for, for his son. And love doesn't mean that we give our kids everything they ask for. Rarely means that. Love doesn't mean filling your home with, or filling their bedroom with toys and with the latest gadgets and trying to keep up with their friends at school. That's not love. Love is definitely not a father who is not at home so much because he's too busy working and he's, saying, he's justifying it by saying, I'm providing for my family. Your kids just aren't going to understand that as a sign of love. That's not going to be love in their eyes. Your kids need you, dads. They need you there. They need you present. Love, I think as a parent, is sitting down with your children and looking them in the eye and saying, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to put God first. Love is training them and instructing them in the ways of God. We bring God and Jesus into our home. We give him the authority. And as far as raising our kids go, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do our best, but we're not going to get it right every time. But our trust is that as we put God at the centre of our home, as we make him the builder, give him the authority, as we, as we acknowledge him as the protector and as the provider of everything that we have, that our kids will come through these period, this, this time um, trusting in God and kind of living a blessed life. He was going to build and protect and provide for our family. So I want to uh, kind of finish kind of this session this morning by widening this out. We've been talking about the kind of family unit, parents and kids together. I want to widen this out to the church family because um, throughout the New Testament, uh, the church is described as a family amongst other things. It's described as a body and as a bride, but also as a family. And there are um, lots and lots of principles that are given about how members of this corporate family should treat each other, the way they should treat, uh, treat one another. And in fact, I was counting them. There's a, um, there's a phrase that is used both by Jesus and by other writers in the New Testament, and it comes up more than 50 times. It's a two-word phrase, and it's the phrase, one another. Do this to one another. Do this for one another. Don't do this to one another. In some translations it said each other. And each of these uses of this phrase is a specific instruction 
for essentially building a stronger church family. Uh, One of the most common uses of this phrase actually puts the word love in front of it. Love one another. Jesus himself uh, used that phrase. Uh, If we look in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In Romans, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 1 Peter, love one another deeply from the heart. This phrase, one another, comes out uh, time and time again. There are loads, loads more of examples I could have used. And there's a passage in scripture um, that everybody knows. Believers know it, non-Christians know it, and it's uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. It's a a scripture that talks about God's love for the whole world. But there's another scripture that's actually, uh, conveniently, it's uh, a similar sounding reference. It's not John 3.16, it's 1 John 3.16. So it's one of John's letters, but it's still chapter 3 and it's still chapter 16. And it says this, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you want to know what love is, this is what love is. There's two parts to it. Jesus Christ laying down his life for us and us laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, for the members of our Christian family. Two parts. That's how we know what love is. And uh, this carries on, um, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So it says, you know, lay down your life for your brothers and sisters and then it goes on to talk about how you might do that. How can you lay down your life? How can you know what this love is? Well, this is a practical way. If you've got stuff and your brother and sisters don't have enough, give them your stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty clear. And it says, if you don't do that, how can the love of God be in you? You won't know love. This is how we know what love is. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, there's a great example this week. Um, at the prayer meeting, we, there was a, a, a person who had a need, and we brought it to the prayer meeting. And this need, this, this uh, lady's got a family, and through no fault of her own, Uh, she found herself on the verge of eviction from her home, a family home with with small kids as well. And I say it was nothing to do with anything she had done. And so we prayed about this at the prayer meeting on on Wednesday. And yesterday uh, we had a text saying that through this week she'd been supported by members of her life groups. Somebody had gone round and prayed with her every evening this week. That's love. And then also um, uh, she let us know that somebody else in this family had offered to cover the debt that she had. That's it. That's totally what that's about. Not loving in words and speech, but loving with actions and in truth. And just actually in the first service, uh, something went on just before the first service today. um, There was somebody else who who had been looking to go and visit their father who lives overseas, but couldn't afford to go. And so members of her life group and her immediate friends had been raising money for her. And... They gave her that today on Father's Day. What a great gift. And she was outside and she was in tears. <coughs> and what I know is when God steps into a situation and does something supernatural and does a miracle and brings about a win, it's fantastic. It's great. There's blessing there. 
But there's, to be honest, can I say there's even more blessing involved when we see somebody and we get involved. Because not only does the person who had the need have their needs met and get blessed, the people doing the blessing are actually more blessed. It says more blessed to give than receive. We end up with more blessings. And, and I guess what I want us to do just as we, as we finish today is try and picture a church where this is the norm, where this just happens all the time, again and again. We're actively on the lookout for things that we can do, things that we can help, ways that we can support people. It may not be financial, it may just be time, it may be a conversation, it may be offering to babysit. It's just, this is how we, this is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? We lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We put each other first. We submit to one another. Now, in the, in the New Testament, I said there's all these scriptures about um, one another and about how, the way we should treat one another. And rather than trying to go through all of these scriptures today, obviously I couldn't do that, there's too many of them, I thought I'd put together a video. I'd put together a video showing some of these scriptures and um, for us to kind of get a handle on and maybe get some ideas about how we can respond to those who are in our family. Let's deepen our relationships. Let's move from facade relationships. Let's move from uh, just serving together um, on a team. But let's get deeper. Let's move towards a family type relationship where we, are, we know each other and we are known by each other. And um, we're really connected to each other. So I've got this video that I've put together and because it's Father's Day I have been a little bit shameless. I've put lots of pictures of children on it. So I hope you enjoy this video. And as you're watching it, I say, um, try and work out what your response is going to be to this. These are all instructions that we have as members of a family. Try and work out what our response is going to be um, to each other and to God, our loving Father. <laughs> 